an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Well, enjoying my daily existence in the post-truth world of hell. But <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that old thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of dystopian dramas about that that we can discuss. Yeah, there really are. Let's do D for dystopia. <laughs> yes, let's. Because I need more. Sadly, of... we're way past D. Yes, I need so much more of that in my life right now. I don't think. <laughs> I suppose we should point out that we are what at the back end of May at the moment. Yes, in recording so... wise, I'm actually just trying to think where we are in terms of actual day. Because <laughs> I did write. I did write. I believe it's a Thursday. It's a Thursday. No, I didn't mean that. I mean the podcast schedule. So, dear listener, you are listening to this on the 25th of July. Well done. <laughs> Well done for reaching the 25th of July, if indeed you have reached it. Well, if you're listening to it, you did reach it. <sighs> and, and hopefully so did we. Yes. If not, we're speaking to you from beyond the grave. Ooh. <laughs> which would be very appropriate for the letter we're doing today. Yes. Which is the letter K, and we have picked off the shelf of doom. Um, Dennis Potter's karaoke. Which I think will probably end up being more of a, a wider discussion of the the works of Dennis Potter, but uh, I feel that Dennis Potter is one of those people we should talk about in, in as as a as a dramatist for television. Yes, I feel um, I have to say at the, at the outset that I feel like the poor relation in this particular episode because I know that you know a lot more about Dennis Potter than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just You'd saying think. that. I'm just saying that up front. <laughs> No, I, I should I should have got my uh, one of my friends actually one of my friends uh, was I was sort of waving my seeing the blossom uh, my copy of seeing the blossom at him a few weeks ago and he, and he went he just went to leaned across the shelf and just bought half a shelf of Dennis Potter works and put them in front of me and went oh I've got all these and I went eh, I should have come to your house ah, I see. <laughs> so so uh, yeah. as a playwright he has a lot of fans I think I picked up on Dennis Potter quite uh, uh, like a lot of people. Uh, the singing detective, and I, and I do. I still maintain that singing detective is his masterpiece, uh, and, I, and I, I absolutely adore it. Um, uh, and then went back and discovered uh, *Pennies from Heaven* and you know other plays as well. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about karaoke, which is uh, what we're talking about today, is it, it's produced posthumously. It's one of the two four-part television adaptations that he was writing in 1994 as he was dying. 
um, and although a karaoke had already been commissioned and had been you know was was near a completion so really called Lazarus is is the other play yeah that has elements of karaoke within it and weaved through it uh which basically sort of uh were both then produced by and directed by Rennie Rye and came out about two years after his death so so just to say a bit about the um shall I, I go with a synopsis so we understand I think so right. okay absolutely so karaoke revolves around screenwriter um, Daniel Field, who is two E's. Yes, who is essentially Dennis Potter. It's semi-autobiographical, kind of, and he is writing or has written a TV series, a TV drama series called Karaoke. And um, as the production is underway, he starts to see characters who are named the same as the people in this in this drama he's written and they also start speaking his dialogue and he's starting to work, trying to work out whether he's having a mental breakdown or whether it actually is goodness knows what so yeah it's it's a question of fiction and reality blurring the lines between the two and and his fascination particularly with a, a young woman called Sandra Sollers who um, is at the centre of the plot and is potentially lined up to get murdered because she's murdered in his TV series and he's desperate that she doesn't get murdered in real life. That's right. Dennis Potter and obsession with uh, young women uh, being one of his his themes that yeah. sort of feeds through his work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, actually, uh, from that point of view, because at this stage, uh, until, until he announced he was dying... Um, he, he, the tabloids had dubbed him Dirty Den because of... Ah, um, had they? I didn't know that. Because of uh, Black Eyes a few years earlier, mm-hmm. which I think he directed himself. And, uh-huh. and Black Eyes was very much about an obsession. So uh, I think that was made in about 1989, so that was about three years after Single Detective was a four-part. I think the BBC did it. With and, Gina Bell, and it, it, yeah. Yes, that's right. And it, and it was lots of tracking shots of, of people in, in various... Uh, well, women in various stages of undress. Yeah. And this basically outraged the tabloids. And and so instead of being the critically acclaimed drama writer, the tabloids decided he was dirty then because that was convenient and EastEnders was mind-bogglingly popular at the time. Yes. So uh, you then uh, get lipstick on your collar about three years later, which was the... Uh, which was, I think he basically fell out with the BBC, moved to Channel 4, met Rennie Rye, who directed Lipstick, who he, he decided uh, was the best person to bring his vision. Because it was John Emile who directed uh, Singing Detective. Mm. Uh, so... So Rennie Rye and him had this collaboration. I think they worked on a couple of other things before they as well. But then Rennie Rye was the person he handed his legacy to and said, "If I, if, if these get made, I want him to direct them." Which is a nice thing to have in your in your job. You know, oh, I've got a job in a couple of years. That's useful. Yeah, we should we should make um, reference to Rennie Rye's past credits. I mean, I think mm-hmm. in TV terms, we're probably most interested in his work for children's drama, um, Box of Delights and a lot of other things before that and then he kind of made this transition into adult drama if you will indeed um but there was some i know midsummer's midsummer murders is is a pile of crap really but some of the better episodes are directed by rennie rye i just wanted to put put, put that out there 
Indeed. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's interesting, really, because uh, when, when, you, when you think about um, Dennis Potter's work, you know, it, it, or Dennis Potter's works generally, they are a very they are a very visual and very complicated thing to put together but actually i i remember watching lipstick on your color at the time and being being a bit disappointed i i i felt it was again it was one of those ones it was a little bit flabby it was his last i believe it was his last six parter right um i don't know. it's one of those things funny enough i was talking about this yesterday is that i sometimes forget how many episodes are in certain things uh-huh. so I, I remember them as being six and it turns out there were four or vice versa hmm. and uh weirdly i i think lipstick runs longer than I think it should or, or does and introduce the world to uh, Ewan McGregor of course really and but basically apart from that it's it's never been it's never been really as highly regarded as Singing Detective and Pennies from Heaven mm-hmm. uh, whether that's a BBC snobbery thing or whether it's just it it didn't get the audience in the same way or maybe advert breaks break up the the I mean, you've got fragmented storylines, which isn't helped then when you get cut to an ad break. I know that's kind of yeah, uh, probably a bit meta. <laughs> no, no, I, I think there's something about that. And yeah, it does feel different. I have to say, karaoke feels more Channel 4 than it does BBC One. Yes. Even though it was transmitted on both. Is that right? Well, basically, if, if you... Um, if, I don't know if you've seen the Seeing the Blossom interview with Melvin Bragg. It's, no, it's quite famous. I've got a transcript of it here. Yeah, uh, and basically, I, I, it was about three months before Dennis Potter died. He yeah. did this long, open-ended conversation with Melvin Bragg in camera, knocking back the morphine and champagne. Which mm. is, you know, nice combo. What a way to go! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he um, he uh, basically describes a lot of what this script is going to be, and a lot of the themes that you know, because he was th- he was thinking about. Uh, things like cryogenics and what have you at the time mm. and also the way the media exploit things like memory and whether that's a possibility in that uh, and also his hatred for certain media moguls uh, all of which in the end sort of pop up in the actual script so these were things that were much on his mind yeah. in in much the same way that if you and I are watching a Dennis Potter thing we may find that when we're having conversations about other things those things creep in because that's what you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least I find that sometimes, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and yet other times it kind of, I, I might not even think about it for 10 years and then suddenly you think, oh yeah, that was in. The weird thing for me was watching karaoke. You know, I, I did watch both karaoke and called Lazarus at the time. Yeah. You know, event television, you know, yeah. iconic writer, you know, this is his last work and all this kind of thing. And I remember not, not being that, massively impressed you know and i think the problem is i i don't know if you did what i did i i watched karaoke and then i thought oh i'll give cold lazarus a go right. did you not no did i didn't not watch i didn't no. watch okay. um cold lazarus mainly because i just ran out of time because i watched yeah. karaoke episode one and i kind of yeah. i kind of enjoyed it quite a lot mm. and then i watched episode two and i didn't like episode two as much and i felt it all kind of I felt it fell, fe- fell away as it went carries on. I really do think that, and so therefore I, think what, I was. The problem is, I yeah. think a lot of it feeds into uh, Cold Lazarus. The two, the two actually do work as companion pieces. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, to sort of take a, a side step to briefly talk about uh, Cold Lazarus is that Daniel Field's head yep. has been uh, preserved for five hundred years or whatever 
figure it is. And they are mining, or they're using new science to see if they can mine the memories for entertainment purposes. Uh, a team of scientists. Yeah. Uh, one of the problems with, with Cold Lazarus generally is it's a quite simple murder mystery. Right. Wrapped up in a, in a kind of political uh, mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite hamstrung, like a lot of science fiction of its time, by its production. Okay. Uh, v- uh, production uh, design. Uh-huh. I should say production design. Yeah. Because it, it, there's these very, they're like organic chairs that they sort of float round with in the first, float round inside in the first episode in their lab. Yeah. And there's a lot of production design that's obviously mid-90s technology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on. And watching it now, actually, if you can ignore that, which, you know, you and I are probably very much yes, of the same thing. You, yeah. We can ignore production design totally. a lot easier than some people. Yeah. I think at the time it, it felt, even then it felt a bit, uh, you know, you, you could, funnily enough, you could do it now with a much more high-tech uh, approach, and it would probably work. The script actually still holds up. This is the thing that struck me. Right. But what it does is it it actually re <coughs> it uses re uh, reuses elements from karaoke uh, within its storyline, sometimes changing them. Right. Because the memories start to get scrambled. Yeah. Which I think is fascinating, because you're actually starting to see. Uh, the the one story mixed up with the other story. Yeah, but also it kind of I I in the end I, I started to wonder and th- and this is kind of getting very meta indeed is whether the whole of karaoke was actually a scrambled memory of this head in the box. <laughs> well, I think in Cold Lazarus that would make sense on the basis of where the the blurring of the lines takes place within karaoke because it's it is a bit all over the place in terms of what you're meant to think is going on, what's actually going on, what's part of the drama, what isn't. And that's absolutely deliberate. So if Dennis Potter wants you to think that, then I think that's completely fine. I mean, it's not as though you haven't done it often enough before now, is it? They were speaking my lines. Exact same sentence from my karaoke script. Pure coincidence. That girl in my karaoke, she has such a horrible death, doesn't she? You were staring at me, weren't you? I'm a writer. I put words into other people's mouths. I make them do things! Lie to each other! Or, or kill! Kill! Somebody quick! Guys, I kill you! Somebody! Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's sort of seeded. It, it's sort of seeded right from episode one, where, where you know, you say, is this, is this real? Is this... And already, you're kind of thinking, maybe the whole thing is this mashed memory. The other strange thing from a production point of view is because karaoke is very much a straight television drama mm. in the sense that the way it's shot yeah a lot of the stuff in uh that was shot specially for for Car- for cold lazarus i don't get the two mixed up now <laughs> for cold lazarus was done uh, as pov shots right but obviously when they use the clips from karaoke they're not pov shots mm. and that that sort of when you think it's the same director that kind of you feel that it, it sort of doesn't quite work. It's like it wasn't quite gelling in some way. You you shouldn't. It, I always feel you shouldn't really see uh, Albert Finney in person in the karaoke shots that are in Cold Lazarus. Yes. No. I see what you mean. Exactly. But sometimes in the flashbacks you don't. Yeah. They're just t- sort of camera POV shots, and sometimes you are seeing them like that, and that's kind of a little bit confusing. Mm. Well, it's not confusing. It's just it just jars a little. Mm. 
So it it it, it sort of it, it it's a difficult thing. I, I imagine it was made under terrible, terribly difficult circumstances. I mean, this whole thing is that basically in this seeing the blossom interview. Basically, Dennis Potter said it was like his television will. I would like one to be made by the BBC, the other to be made by Channel 4 and repeated on the opposite channel later in the week. Yeah, it's like he's been deliberately difficult. It's like a deliberately difficult dying relative's wish, isn't it? It's really sort of like <laughs> Precisely, poison yes. chalice world of hell. But, yeah. but also, I think he was trying in some ways to get because uh, to get the, the the different factions. I mean, he, he absolutely loathed John Burt. Ah. Uh, the BBC, and he was trying, and he and he was really quite uh, flattering about Michael Grade, and and he felt that they were they were in the they, like Michael Grade was should have been the opposite job, which I think he ended up in anyway. Mm. But you know, so mote it be. But um, <laughs> but weirdly, there was there was there's almost this kind of trying to bring the two factions together, and it, it's it's kind of it's kind of complicated, yeah. but I think in many ways the difficulties of a Channel 4 production and a BBC production probably didn't help either production in the end, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I do think um, there's some good performances in it, but I think I, I get... I struggled with it a lot because of its meta nature and how... Well, you could... You've got... Th sorry, yes. You've got three karaoke's going on within it haven't you straight away yeah so let's count you've them the <laughs> you've got the karaoke of the film yeah the the film they've made of yeah. the script or they're made they're working yeah on. you've got the karaoke of the script itself that they're talking about and of course then you've got the karaoke bar it's all set in which really is two karaoke bars because there's a fictional one and a real one yeah and of so course you've also karaoke. and you've also got the editing suite which is kind of like it's just showing the behind the scenes of of making the series as well. Almost, it's kind of like yes. it's all about we we will show you what we what we want to show you at any point, but you're not going to know whether it's fiction, whether it's reality, or whether it's the the passion of the director or whatever it is at that moment. But you're demanding that she takes the weight of almost every single scene that she's in. I mean, the grammar just goes out the window. You seem to have forgotten there's such a thing as a two shot. Oh, it's obsession. It's obsession I'm after. The old man, Oliver Morse. The way he has cradled and cosseted and somehow curdled the failed love of his life. And so it's about her. No, not about her. I don't mean quite that. I mean, she is the focus of the obsession. She. And that's why, in editing terms, I want to keep looking at her examining her, staring at her, prowling around her, and, okay, licking her too. We will pull back and you'll be in the edit suite, absolutely. Yes. I mean, the fascinating thing to me about that was, it coincidentally, of course, having just uh, recorded our piece on Jonathan Creek. <laughs> yes, quite <laughs> different. A lot, of the a lot of those episodes were involving editing suites. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it was kind of like, was that a kind of television eating itself at the thing time that was going yeah. on in that era you know yeah. i mean take taking another leap sideways yeah. is weirdly enough because uh, of uh, we were we were saying there's an attitude to towards women within dennis potter's work mm -hmm. and i i i as a kind of leap i just watched the first cracker okay this week uh, which was about made about the same time mm -hmm. and god that's misogynistic at times oh, bloody hell <laughs> You know, 
so so i just feel that maybe there was an you know the early 90s are not a great time to be a woman a female character in in certain i mean if, if you look at this if you look at karaoke you've got anna chancellor who is is she's a good actress but she's got a really boring straightforward role and they don't even bother to, caric- to caricature her like they do everyone else. And that's another problem I have with this series is that everyone's a caricature mm-hmm. unless they're underwritten and then they're just straight like Hannah Chancellor is. Then mm. you've got the um, prostitute sort of character, Sandra Sollers, who's a bit down on her look and she wants to be a manicurist and all that stuff. But she's kind of yes. very, very East End and, you know. Yes, Saffron Burroughs. Yes. And yes. then you've got Keely Hawes, Near the start of her career, I mean, yes. Who, she's a bit variable, I think, in this. Um, but I mean, she's fantastic later on. But here, it's she's not well served by the script either. I think she's a bit of a stereotype. And then Julie Christie, poor Julie Christie. I really felt for Julie Christie. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's only in about two or three scenes. But at the end of it all, I may as well say that you know she suddenly wel- welcomes back Richard E. Grant, her husband. Mm. Um, in a, with open arms, passionately, despite the fact that he's just admitted to having an affair with bloody Keely Hawes in a most grim way. And it's just like, for women, this is awful. Hi, this is Linda Langer. I'm not really sure how these things work. Um, am I in or am I out? Say who are and leave your love or whatever it is after the funny little beep. Bye. Linda, it's Nick. Nick Barmer calling at uh, 6.20 on Wednesday evening. I somehow feel that you are there. Please pick up the phone. Linda. Please. You got him, girl. Got him good and proper. I mean, the cast is to die for. I mean, they, they absolutely must have been falling over themselves to be involved in this. This is this is seen as, you know, Dennis Potter's last great work. Uh, but also, you actually start to wonder, how easy is it, as a third party, to go in and script edit Dennis, especially after Dennis has died? Because every word suddenly is sacred, isn't it? Yes, and it could have done with tightening up, quite honestly. In a lot of places. Mm. It's a very, very simple story. I mean, to be fair, in, in at the end of the story, when uh, Albert Finney finds out his character is not going to... Well, we know he's going to end up a head in a box. Yes. I mean, we all know we're all going to die. But um, when he, he's actually told he has about eight weeks to live, he basically makes... I mean, again, it's part of the meta uh, superstructure of this thing is he starts talking about what kind of story could I write... Mm-hmm. A very and and they have a conversation about well it would probably have to be a simple story not a complicated one. yes <laughs> and lo and behold really the four parts of karaoke is actually quite a simple story dressed up in a lot of complicated uh, technique and style and that simple story is if you only had eight weeks left to live who would you kill isn't it <laughs> basically yes and, and it, I mean it's to is make even... the world a better place yeah. Yeah. And indeed, that even pops up in the Dennis Potter interview. Yeah. You know? uh, although he doesn't actually bump off the uh, media mogul. <laughs> but the thing <laughs> is, still with us. The thing is, it's the ending is so botched. Can I just say that it's so completely botched? Because I just, I just don't understand it. Maybe you can help me. So 
he decides to leave all his money to Sandra Sollers, played by Saffron Burroughs, mm. um, provided she doesn't destroy her life by going after her pimp, who is mm-hmm. Arthur Pygmalion, played by Howell Bennett. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> she agrees to all this, and she's she's really grateful to him and calls him a darling man and everything. But then at her parting shot, she leaves the hospital where he's he's getting treatment while he's dying. Um, mm. He says, well, I'm going to get him anyway, sort of thing, because she can't just, mm. she can't escape her East End roots and she wants to get him back for mm. having hurt her mother. So, yes. fine. But, okay, so that at that point you realise he has to kill him. Mm. But what happens, which I don't understand, is he goes to kill Pygmalion. Yes. Um, but then tries to get an alibi. And it's like, no, <laughs> you're dying. It doesn't matter. You take it on the chin. You're dying. You kill this man. That way you completely protect her. But instead he tries to get an alibi and he uses her gun, which puts her in the frame. I just don't understand yeah. it. I just think it's really yeah. weird. I, I think it doesn't bear... I, I, it's one of those things that, in terms of the drama, it, it kind of sort of, you know, as, as a sh- shock quotes ending, it kind of makes sense and, oh, isn't it clever? But actually, it's another one of those dramas that when you start to think about it, it all falls apart, which I, which I know is, is sometimes the nature of anything if you overanalyze it. But actually, uh, yeah, it, it's it's difficult. Weirdly, you get the actual death scene in in uh, called Lazarus right which which is a, a point of view with all the main uh, characters around the bed as he goes and of course he's screaming no biography uh, which I think is a famous quote of somebody else right. I can't remember who off the top of my head but uh, uh, and again it's interesting because a lot of Dennis Potter's works are very much accused of being overly biographical as if writers don't write about what they know uh, but for some reason uh, people feel that Dennis Potter was writing about himself when he was always arguing that it was a, it was just his experiences placed on other characters, you know. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's it. So basically, he hasn't been found out. He's dying in hospital, and he's got away with it. You find out in Cold Lazarus. But um, yeah, it, it's it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, I know I know we've basically spoiled the plot for everybody here, but. Yeah, yeah, but hopefully uh, they've watched it in advance. I'll have encouraged them to watch it in advance. <laughs> and if they haven't watched karaoke by now, and despite that encouragement, then hey. <laughs> no, but it, it is it is an un, it, it's it, it's it's one of those things that you've got four hours to tell a story, and yet suddenly uh, most of the actual plot is telescoped into the last ten minutes. Yes, which I I just and, think is poor writing. I do, I do. I think it's a shame. I, I just think it's it's all very self-indulgent. But then I can forgive it being self-indulgent because he's at the end of his life. And he's, he's kind of... Dennis Potter's probably thinking, honestly, I don't care. This can have as much well, of me in it and yeah. this can have as much reference to my old shows as I want because this is mine. I've got this deal. They're going to... I will get this deal. They're going to want it. So I can do what I want. And I think this is the danger of a talent being unbridled in this way to just do whatever the heck they want. Yes. And that means um, there's so many references. I mean, even down to the... I mean, the thing, again, at the end that I don't understand is why... He says he's, he gets this alibi of having been in his hospital bed, using Roy yes. Hood's character. And yet, yes. just before he's killed Pygmalion, he's sung in the karaoke bar in front of hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what?! Well, hundreds well, of people could say that you were... justify your title somehow, haven't you? I know, but honestly... <laughs> 
Come off it. It's, it's interesting. I I, I, I must admit, I mean, uh, Dennis has... Dennis has been two years dead when this is broadcast. Right. So he was probably, uh, you know, it was probably filmed the year after he died. Mm. Uh, and it riffs on literally everything. I mean, the opening scene with uh, the, the teenager in love is is all lipstick. On. Yes. It's basically a continuation of lipstick. I've never seen lipstick, but um, I guessed it must have been. And you even yeah. get you and McGregor just walking down the street. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it's it's it it's it's mingling. You get you get very much. Mm. There's the, the sense of a, a murder mystery is is at the heart of singing detective. Yeah, but it is uh, it's very much and, like and his, the multi layer. It's very much like his greatest hits, though, isn't it? I mean, because oh yes, absolutely. Because when you there's a scene where he's walking along the street and it pans up. The camera actually pans up, mm. and there's actually a poster of the singing detective mm-hmm. upon the on a building. Well, it's sort of singing right. detective esque thing, and I was like, "Oh my god, singing mm. detective!" So it, it's so openly on its sleeve showing that stuff, and I don't know for you, for me, that takes me out of it a bit too mm. much. I think it even gets more bizarrely meta when I think in episode one uh, you actually cut to uh, singing in the street. The is it singing? I can't remember what the song is, but you've actually got uh, Ian McDermott, who's Who's, who's basically made up to be Dennis Potter. <laughs> yeah. And you start to think, hold on, is that... Oh, no, no, that is actually an actor who's who's being Dennis Potter in the film of karaoke, in the bar, and so on and so on. And so you've suddenly got this multi-layered thing which which worked so incredibly well on, on, on some of the earlier uh, productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow, you know... It, 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 I, I, you could argue it's a Mary Sue. I've put myself in this. This person. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know whether the script actually says he looks a bit like me. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can imagine it. Yeah. And I've missed you too. My lost little love. Oi, you! Keep your eyes on your bleeding head, all right? Oh, my dear, dear one. Don't you look at me like that, you you were always such a passionate young woman. Don't worry about it, my dear. The wine is really rather poor. Certainly not up to the Chevrolet Chambertin we used to enjoy. Hmm? You're a nutter. Can I just say something I really didn't like in this thing, and it's one person's performance. Can you guess which performance I disliked the most? Oh, Hugh Bennett? No. Roy Hudd? No. Oh, uh, I'm lost then. Go on. Richard E. Grant. Oh, Reg! It's got to be Reg. <laughs> Richard E. Yes, Grant. sorry. Oh. I'd almost forgotten Reg. Yes. Oh, my Lord. I mean, yes. Uh, I was going say he is on my list of things to talk about. <laughs> Honestly, he's so on my list of things to talk about. I'd actually forgotten that we needed to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like I um, like with Neil and I. I love it. It's great. But yes, and I give Richard E. Grant his due as for what he does. But here, mm. it's over the top. It's too mannered. It's it's a very mannered performance. Oh, it's just oh, I just see him working, and I don't want to see him working. <laughs> it's just like... there, there is there is a lovely moment. Uh, the, uh, the, one of my one of my favourite moments in it, and I and I and I know it's 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 again it's playing on the meta where he actually he's referring to one of the sidekicks or one of the people 
who's come to see him, I think. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe one of the boyfriends, and he, and he says, and his name's Reg, and he just spits out the word Reg. <laughs> Which, of course, seeing as everybody refers to him as Reg, I just find that hilarious. But yes. yeah. <laughs> but but that's possibly just... You making that, that up. Maybe yeah. a- actors playing with the... Um, with the, the script, unless he wasn't called Reg in the original. I mean, yeah. to be fair to Richard E. Grant, it's the fact that the mm. character just isn't well written enough. He's deliberately, I think, a caricature of a filmmaker or a TV drama mm. maker. He absolutely is. Who's who's too obsessed with his vision and how things should look. And there's a, mm. and also he seemed to be in love with um, Keely Hall's character, his star, indeed, which is another trope. But um, yes. the way it's done. It's hard to feel any sympathy for him or to like him. And yet at the end, I think you're meant to feel a sort of sweeping sort of like, <coughs> oh, but he's still got his love for Julie Christie, who mm. he clearly doesn't love at all. He's not interested in her at all. And you know he's only with her because she's got co-production money or, or money for the film. And it's just it's just a bit odd. His, his storyline uh, through, throughout this thing, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's odd because I, I think... I, I mean, I don't. I, in many ways, I know you say you you see his his, his process, but actually, I, in many ways, I don't, it's almost like he's not trying at all. I, I feel he's just being him. <laughs> yes, I think maybe you're, maybe like, you're right. Know, actually, yeah. I mean, there there are accusations uh, about his uh, when he did that audio Doctor Who thing hmm. that he he really was phoning it in. Uh, you know, had a bit of contempt for the material, and I don't, you know, whether or not you would argue that actors ever have contempt for the for a writer of, of the stature of Dennis is 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 debatable. But it felt, I, I, it does take you out. Actually, it's funny. As why didn't he leap to my mind immediately? You're absolutely right. It, it, because I think it's almost like, it, and I, I, you can't, you can't criticize somebody for their accent. But it doesn't gel with the other characters, weirdly. Yeah. I mean, the astonishing thing to me about karaoke is, one, I'd completely forgotten Roy Hood was in it, and two, how bloody good Roy Hood is. I'm very grateful to you, Ben, picking me up from that dump and all that. Uh, I know how it eats into your day. Not at all, not at all. But I need to be alone for a while now, if you don't mind. I can already feel Miss Garbo whispering into my left ear. I'll talk to you later on the phone. I want to write about cryogenics. I want to write about a frozen headband, a deeply frozen brain iced up with frozen memories. Sounds right, huh? Fine. Uh, well, fine, Daniel. It'll be great to get you whacked to Burke. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you've got a parking ticket, charge it to me. Oh, don't be silly. Daniel. Yeah, now I think probably, I'm aside from Albert Finney, who is fantastic, um, I think Roy Hood is, is very good in it, but it's hard. His character is. It's hard the to like his character because poor chap, poor Roy, his character is saddled with spoonerisms that are meant to be funny, but are just mm. irritating beyond belief. So this attritional use of spoonerisms all the time. And every, every character who comes into contact with Roy Hood has meant it's got to talk to him about the Spoonerism. And it's like, Indeed. can we just get past that now? It's so attritionally dull and cheap as a narrative device. It doesn't achieve anything. I believe it achieves one thing, and I think the only reason it's there, and I can't remember at what point in the story it happens, is that he gets to shout, cooking Farioki. And... Uh, about the script uh, or about the the production, right. and I genu- genuinely think 
in many ways it's a, a not well not subtle way of getting around the uh, how many swears he's allowed oh i see um, i see because but, it just yeah, reminds so me of, the, it just reminds one. me of my wife's father and just his mm. lame humor all the time it's just, it's just, mm. it was that's, oh like, it's, it's, it's like, a cheap it's a cheap guy. really cheap which i just think um, it's a shame because roy hood gives a really affecting low-key performance and the scene when he cries he starts to cry just you know after he knows that daniel's gonna die and he's obviously got deep affection yes. for this guy and that's I think that's probably one of the strongest moments when you see the connection between this this agent and this writer that is real. And that's a very real thing. And I think in this drama, it makes you look for what's real because so much of it is in question as to what is real. Mm. And I think that... Well, his 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 character, I mean, in many ways, is, is actually one of the better structured. I mean, he has this horrible relationship with his mother. Yeah. <laughs> he has this strange hobby that he's terribly ashamed of having. Uh, with the matchstick building of the cathedral of Notre Dame, which I'm, yeah. which I'm assuring is a metaphor for something, but might just be might be just there to explain the aerial shot of Paris. <laughs> yeah, there is that feeling yeah. like it's only there for that. I did think that. Yeah, we know he he basically he makes fifty grand a year because for some reason uh, Albert Finney's character is earning five hundred grand a year <laughs> as a writer. Yeah, so uh, so he's kind of there as this tool. To protect uh, Daniel Field from all the chaos of his life, and yet actually really likes him. He's his only real friend. Yes, that's true. Now, the important thing is to destroy and totally forget the Pygmalion cutting, or whatever it is. You never saw it, you never heard his name. Never. But obviously, I've caused everyone a lot of trouble. And if it comes to litigation. Anna's been useful for once. She went through the Name mentions. Did I get that right? Main mentions. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. And after all those truly amazing scenes yesterday evening and the rapprochement, the entente cordiale, well, she and I had a chittle lat and everything can be sorted out. Yeah. Um, I, I, think I mean, it we, was, it was, we should... Uh, we, sorry, I was going to say, I do think it was really surprising that Notre Dame, the, the model, survives to the end of the piece. I was certain. Ah, you thought it was, you it thought was, it was Chekhov's get... model. Yes. You thought it was someone was going to. I thought his wife it. was going to. F... Not his wife. His mother yeah. was going to burn mother. it or yeah. was destroy it deliberately or or, or fall. Or someone it, was really. fall on it and destroy. He would yes. fall on it and die or, or something yes. like that because it's it's very set up like that. So maybe it it, it is a it's Chekhov's cathedral and and it doesn't go off. Yes. Yes, <laughs> which is odd. <laughs> yeah. So then it leaves you thinking, well, what was the point? But I don't know. That's just showing his, that's showing his autistic nature and his character, isn't it? That he's kind of can't cope with all elements of life. He can't cope with that. He can't have a. He doesn't have a relationship with anyone other than no. Daniel and his mother. Yes. Yeah. And his mother and the and the strange, controversial, perhaps uh, scene with the hair in the egg. Yeah, it's just put, it's put me off eggs for a few days. I have poached eggs. <laughs> I have poached eggs for breakfast. Not the last few days. I tell right. you, I can't do it. No, no. Uh, but that's that's just an image. I think again, it's one of those things. Is is that there to shock? Is that there to, or is that is that there basically to basically define their relationship as being hostile and, and abusive? The, yeah, and abusive. Yeah, but mutually so. You know, it's kind. It is kind <clears> of yeah, kind of bizarre. It's a bizarre setup. That. Yeah. But uh, you know, the fact that he he you know has this this strange hobby and this this strange home life and nobody in this 
sleeps, I find. Uh-huh. I, I, don't, I don't know whether that's that's kind of kind of just one of those things, but the, basically they all seem to be available to be phoned at any time of the night, and when they are, they're fully awake, or either <laughs> in editing suites or, or, they're in, or they're building their model or whatever, and you kind of think, no wonder they're all going mad. None of them are sleeping ever, yeah. which is when you start to wonder whether they are all sort of constructs of this frozen brain for but, hundred years. In the I think this is the issue, isn't it? In a series like this, where people things can be constructs and things don't have to be reality and you can have caricatures, it feels like you can't actually properly critique it because so much of it is deliberately unclear as to what you're meant to think things are and what's mm. going on. And that's difficult. Mm. It's difficult for a podcast episode <laughs> trying to review it because you feel like, uh, is it fair to say these things when perhaps that's ex- this debate is exactly what he wants people to have about it? Indeed. Well, I mean, it's got it's got us talking, it's got us thinking. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of it, it fascinates me because the the model of uh, a writer's characters coming back or coming into their real life was done in that film Stranger Than Fiction about mm, ten years after this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, which had uh, Emma Thompson in it, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's kind of it's obviously a an interesting idea, whether or not it's 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 executed at its best in this. I mean, like I say, the the circumstances of it being written, the circumstances of its production, are both things you could argue, you know, constrain it, but equally. Yeah. Well, yeah, but equally, I I think you can, you could say well most productions, you know, the the writer isn't there. Once once they've done the writing bit, it it becomes somebody else's problem. Well, it depends. You know? It depends on how you set up. So certain series, the writers are there throughout, and they're called upon when there's mm. there. It depends on how you set up your series and how important you feel the writer is, and how much the director wants their head, and how much the producer wants theirs. Mm. So I think. From what I've seen, from having you know talked to quite a lot of people behind the scenes, is that it, it really will depend on any given production. Yeah, it's just I I I I, I, I feel that there is a script supervisor uh, credited, but there isn't a script editor. Yes, credited. because they probably weren't allowed to be a script editor. In effect, that's it, probably it, that it was may, probably the well. small print of Dennis Potter's will. This must not be edited. I mean. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and there are times when you think that probably you know had it had it been a production normally it would have been handed over mm-hmm. and or maybe all these the the whole thing about the production rows that they're having throughout the program about whether you should use different music and different uh, words and different you know the way that the producers mess with your dialogue and mess with your script is one of the points of the, the film itself, if you see what I mean. Yes. When it starts to super meta itself, it actually starts to eat itself about halfway through. You know? I think I've been barking up the wrong skirt, Ian. The lassie? Aye, the lassie. So, you've been reassembling? Oh, it's only a rough go. Uh, that's for you, Ian, of course. But only to show how it might be if I took the, quote, obsession, unquote, out of the lens, so to speak, and left it in Oliver's head, the old man's head, as Daniel, no doubt, meant. Well, let's have a gander, then. Just take it back a bit. Can I just ask you something that I don't understand? Mm. And that is, so Keely Hoare's character is yes. playing... Um, this 
this character in karaoke, but she's the actress mm. who we discover is effectively based on Sandra Sollers. Yes. And in real life, Sandra Sollers is kind of being pimped out or at least used by Pygmalion at the karaoke bar. Yes. And yet, also in real life, Keely Hawes is also being pimped by Pygmalion. Yes. Despite the fact that she is that character in the karaoke script and playing that part. Yes. And I just I just can't understand that. I don't understand that at all. I think I think she's just a, a, a from what I can I mean the way I, I justify it in my own mind <laughs> tell me is is that that she that she is a um she is a, a an actress who is you know shall we say to 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 earn extra money is is working at this place and he uh, and she has got this part you know but because she has he he basically feels he owns her No I get that what I don't understand yeah. is the co- okay. the coincidence that she oh, she knows the, Pygmalion. Well, That's again, just this is weird. This is, yeah, this is all the all the collisions of different worlds. Isn't yes, it? Uh, wh- whether or not, like like you say, it's a coincidence too far. I think it is questionable. Yeah, yeah. I really do because it's just what. So she knows well, him. How? What? What? Well, as we know, the entire film industry is one editing room in Soho and the bar up the road. <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, shall we? Shall we um, move on to some of the other? Because I, I, you know, Finney, this is this is possibly. Uh, is this one of his? It's probably his last television. Oh, is it? Isn't it? I don't know. Well, he's more. He I was mean, more I'm, filmed I'm, by I'm, this point, wasn't he? Anyway. Yes, that's what yeah. I mean. I mean, because he obviously went on and made things like Big Fish and was in the Bond film mm. and stuff like that. So, so, I, so, so I don't. I don't really think there's. I, I imagine it was quite a coup to get Albert Finney. Yes. You know, even at this stage, and uh, and basically he turns from this uh, absolutely terrifying drunken curmudgeon over the course of the because um, he's he's not a pleasant man, is he? The character of Daniel Field is is really not a nice man, you know. And yet he sort of he I sort of becomes a nice man. No, I think he's okay from from when we meet him. I I, I liked him. I liked him in the first episode. He, ha- he has a wonderfully cynical approach. Yeah, I liked how he, just... he like shouts at the world, his way of being angry at the world yeah. for what it is, and yet he's yes. quite genial and jovial. And I would have punched Reg in the face <laughs> <laughs> for being such a prig. But um, yeah. but I uh, know I think he's okay. I mean, the bit I don't like about him is the fact is this Dennis Potter fascination with the younger girl thing. I just think it's a bit creepy, um, mm. and I just can't cope with that. But yeah, but apart from the, that, um, I think he's quite a good character. Well, it's it's, it's a certainly a self destructive one. I mean, there's this whole rant right at, sort of halfway through episode one where he goes on about the EEC and Daleks and things and uh, and and what have you, uh, and then obviously he is going through this terrifying thing of. Or denial thing of I'm I'm ill, but I'm not that ill. Oh, it turns out I am that ill. Yeah. He has some very interesting conversations with with his various doctors, which which are quite quite in many ways quite lovable. Uh, again, you, it turns out that his his past is much darker. Uh, when you watch Cold Lazarus, he, he, you know. Oh, I you see. Know, you get more that's his, dark. Okay. Well, you get stuff about his his, his troubled twin brother, and you get uh... stuff about a, an incident that happened in his childhood, which is an incident that that turns up a lot in Dennis Potter's work because it was an incident that happened to him himself. Is that the scene in the woods in Singing Detective? Mm. Mm. 
right? Well, no. no. Uh, it, it basically, his uh, his um, he, uh, that the, he was abused uh-huh. by a, an uncle, by a gentleman, uh-huh. uh, by a, by a family, uh, and so so variations on that do turn up. But that really is all pushed into the uh, the memory harvesting. Uh, morality and what have you of of cold Lazarus really but yeah. uh, but I mean there's a, there's another bit in cold Lazarus which which riffs on um, oh what's it called blue remembered hills yeah where where you've suddenly where in blue remembered hills you've got Conan Welland running around in massive shorts well in 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 uh, cold Lazarus you do see <laughs> Albert Finney running around in massive shorts very briefly but it's but it's in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, it's this flashing back to youth, and and again, some in some ways, I mean, I I, I watched Lazarus because I'm a bit of a completist, but little elements, small elements of it, it's not it's not a big part of the actual story at all, but small elements of it start to make you sort of slightly reassess mm. things you saw in in karaoke. Sure. So I'm just looking through his credits, and he did quite a lot of TV after this. He did A Rather English Marriage, which was wonderful. He did oh, cool. The Gathering Storm, My Uncle Silas. So he did quite a lot of TV after this, but yeah, oh, main, right. mainly, big, mainly big yeah. films, but yes. But he wasn't adverse to it. And I didn't realise he'd only died last year. Yeah, it was very... It was, yes, of course. Because yeah. he does look a bit on his last legs and unhealthy here. He looks like he has, <laughs> he looks like he has too many English breakfasts. Acting lovey! <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of scotch. I love the. I did yeah. love the scene where he shook the the scotch bottle. <laughs> this is what I'm having. I don't care. Was it only Tuesday night? This is Friday. Seems years ago. Tuesday. That's right. I was with that bugger Peter. Last time and all. I stared and stared. I know it's more than halfway nuts at the time up with the drink and the pain and the way I've been feeling. And even though I was putting my words on the page into your mouth, I could still feel something else going on inside me. Things were stirring again. Feelings that had been dormant for years. Been what? Asleep. Oh. And you woke me up. I was awakened. But I hardly spoke. You woke a part of me that knew the words but didn't know the song. You could argue a lot of moments in this are uh, Dennis punching out from beyond the grave. Yeah. Uh, for example, there is this whole right right in uh, right in part one. There's this whole rant which actually does get repeated in Cold Lazarus, which is about the Arts Council and sight and sound, <laughs> and and uh, you should write for them and all this kind of thing. And there's also a one scene where you get some yuppie wankers <laughs> in the wine. Oh yes. <laughs> And uh, and so you do get the sense that he is lashing out. I mean, again, in in, in uh, Cold Lazarus, uh, he he gets to um, uh, wreak his rewengi on <laughs> on the the media mogul figure. Uh, so in that sense, again, this is this is uh, dear Dennis saying, "I hate these people." I I'm fascinated by two things in in the sense that in in some ways the uh, Saffron Burroughs character is. It's almost like he's taking the piss out of EastEnders. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, it, and it fascinates me that the character that he gives the Dennis Potter lookalike is is called Morse. I just I just think that's just I don't know whether that's a dig. <laughs> oh, I see. It probably is. I don't know whether 
well, this is it. It's almost like, oh, I hate you. You know that thing where you think, oh, I hate you, hate you, hate you, oh, I hate you, oh, I hate you. Oh, yes, and, and, and also and I'm coupled, gonna, oh, I'm going to get my revenge. Coupled with the fact that he doesn't care anymore. Well, precisely. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure that if 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 you if you knew you had 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 weeks to live and had a commission, yeah, and, and the things that would you, things the people you would lash out, the things at. that would get in there. My God, they'd go much further than this. <laughs> no, but but this is it. But there's also, I mean, there's things things like the hospital telephones just get, you know, raged at. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and all the, and even you know, and again, when you when you start to get into the total metalness, you know, the actual part of the plot of this is discussing the plot of this part. Of... Yes, <laughs> you know, it's like what you know, and if you start to, and if it was actually a more complicated story, maybe it, you 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 wouldn't get away with that to a certain extent. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, it fascinates me uh, generally because I'm I'm not a person who is, is fond of hospitals. Mm. I, I sort of one of my my sort of great fears is is you know well any 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 requirement to go in one at all quite frankly, <laughs> and um, and so a lot a lot of a lot of the fear of hospitals and the unpleasantness and the and the general lack of dignity you know I mean, yeah and of course it, there's quite a lot of stuff in the first episode about you know um, what they called uh, not, I think I could say anal probes but you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like the program, you know, but yeah. uh, but there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of just terrifying hospital stuff, mm-hmm. which uh, again probably was preying very much on his mind as he was writing it. But equally, that's from someone who had spent thirty years because of, I mean we know from the psoriasis and what have you, you know, uh, and obviously a lot of the the sort of hospital scenes in Singer Detective. This is probably a, a very big part of his fifty nine years on this planet. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, complete question out of nowhere. Something else for you to explain to me. When... <laughs> I can explain nothing. I, I, I merely, I merely sort of think. Oh, I don't know. He's asking me a question. I don't know the answer. To when Daniel sings, when Daniel sings "Penny from Heaven" at the end yes. in the karaoke bar, why is it not karaoke? Because it's a fifties. Oh, it's, it's a fifties voice oh. singing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's definitely not Albert Finney. Um, no. And you shouldn't be afraid for every time it rains, it rains, and it's from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains, and it's from heaven. But that, again, I suspect is just a, a Potter trope, isn't okay. it? It's is that's what characters did in earlier Potter works. Right. And in many ways, if you're going to do the greatest hits of Dennis Potter, you've got to do that to a certain extent mm-hmm. because that's what people associate with Potter as a, as a technique and a style. Weirdly, I think it doesn't happen much in this. Right. Apart from, you, you get the opening sequence and you get the sequence when... Uh, uh, when uh, uh, Morse is going to the, the pub at the end... But but he 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 lip syncs in that, but there's not actually much lip syncing generally throughout it. So considering the piece is named after a, a musical process, uh, a musical entertainment yeah. that people do, yeah. which actually involves them singing along. Yeah, you you'd be surprised actually that it doesn't happen more within the narrative really. Indeed. But it's kind of, it's sort of it's almost like it feels that it needs to be 
bought in. I mean, the interesting thing to me about episode four specifically is, is, is it doesn't have any music at the beginning. It's like the, it's like there's right. no music in this. And and for Dennis Potter, the music, the songs, the old tunes, the mm. the simple was was a big part of how he saw the world. Although in episode four, you do also have that really strange choice of the end of the um, Reg and Julie Christie um, relationship, which as the oh. taxi's going along, you have the Dambusters march. Yes. Which, which is, is it whistled or is it, it, it it's, it's something, it's weird. It's done in a weird way. And I'm like, what is that and why? It was a really weird choice. <laughs> and again, you get this kind of bizarre thing. It, it, it's screaming out throughout, towards the end of the stories. I, I, I must have a happy ending. I must write a happy ending. Yeah. And, uh, and again, that, uh, almost taps back to Pennies from Heaven. Uh, have you have you watched Pennies from I, Heaven? I've seen it back in the day twice, but I haven't. Mm. I probably haven't seen it for a good twenty years. Mm. Yeah, but do you remember the ending of it? No, specifically. No. How to do this without ruining Pennies from Heaven for everybody? No. Uh, <laughs> well, ba- well, basically, it's very grim, and and, and Arthur uh, is executed. Ah. Uh, but then he appears on the bridge with uh, Cheryl Campbell's character. Mm-hmm. Is it Cheryl Campbell? Is it Cheryl yeah. Campbell? Bob Hoskins. And um, yeah. yeah, and um, and and they sort of walk off into the into the sunset yeah. happily ever after kind yeah. of thing. So he he writes that sort of faux happy ending after you've been beaten around the head by this whole oh, execution right, for. For something you didn't, so I, I feel that the uh, maybe the, there is some kind of thing that all. I mean, even the single detective, there is a happy ending of sorts, you yeah. know. Um, I, I do feel doing this that um, there probably are Dennis Potter fans out there screaming at me saying he doesn't understand the the, the core integrity of Potter and what should I say? So apologies to anyone who thinks I'm not getting it, <laughs> but this is just... I think you can o- you can only watch a thing, uh, uh, anything really, and say, well, this is my take on it. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, ultimately, we're, we're, not, we're not living in a time where you have to like everything just because, you know... Uh, that's that's kind of the thing. You, I mean, part part of doing this is to rediscover, and, and we're discovering stuff ourselves. And actually, you know, it, it may well turn out that that a thing we pick to talk about is something you really don't like very much, or I don't like. And, very and much, what, or neither of us like very much. This, or both this, of us this, like very this much. journey so far is telling me that the things I've chosen to watch on my shelves, I've chosen well, and the things I've avoided on my shelves, I've also avoided well. <laughs> it's just. It's quite interesting that, and but it's not actually helping me to explore so far. Mm. It's making me think, no, stay safe, stay with what you know, because you like it more. <laughs> and I don't think that's necessarily a good experience, you know? It's kind of depressing. I just want there to be... I want things to be better than they are. And I, I remember watching the first episode of this and thinking, oh, this is good, and it's a great cast, and there's some good script, and it's a really interesting premise. But I just don't think it ever got past being a good premise to becoming anything more than what I would describe as a fair drama. You know, it, it doesn't really give me enough for me to be excited about it or to wax lyrical about it. And I desperately want to wax lyrical about these dramas. I, th- I think uh, it's... it's um, yeah, how, how to put it? It's... it's it, uh, when you've got writers who have a reputation within television, generally... It's it's I think it's very easy to assume that everything they did must be great. Yes, you know, 
Uh, and actually, you know, everybody has an off day. I mean, this, like I say, was written, uh, I know we mentioned this earlier, but it was written under incredibly, the most incredibly difficult circumstances. And with, with you know, I imagine that there wasn't much in the way of somebody leaning over him and going, oh, I've got your first page, Dennis. Not not sure about this. Not sure. You know, I don't think there was anybody. There was a, such a time factor. I mean, this was a guy who was running out of time. You know, but not, wanted to just get this. But not just the time factor. By that point, such a, a writer of such stature that no one would dare question anything he wrote either. You know, but but like I say, you were also coming from that point of view that that there's also this this tabloid thing going on about. Um, um, uh, you know, Dirty Den. Yeah. And, and the fascinating thing for me is, didn't I, I'm fairly sure about a year before this, didn't he actually direct a film? An actual feature film oh, did he? that he wrote. Yeah. I think it's the, jo the one with Joan Collins in, I can't remember. But he, I think he made a feature film, you know, so it was actually, he was moving into, he was moving into directing and then that just basically got nipped in the bud uh, because of his illness and his, you know, what you could argue, untimely death. You know, but I think the problem with anything uh, like this is that Black Eyes isn't great, you know. Uh, but the, the Nigel Barton plays are very good. Uh, you know, I, I, you know uh, Pennies is good. Um, seeing Detectives is good. Uh, yeah. Ar arguably, uh, L Lipstick is a lesser work. You know, no, you know, they can't all be brilliant. You know, mm. I, I don't think there's any person who does any kind of art. Could claim that everything that's done is fabulous. Alan Plater. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I'm sure there are there are dodgy Alan Plater scripts out there somewhere. I know. just haven't seen we one haven't, yet. We just haven't gone looking for <laughs> one. You know, we have we've yet to find one. Yeah, but, uh, there probably is. Yeah. But also, there's a kind of sometimes the the reputation. You know, I think that you get this a lot with. Uh, uh, feature films. You get any 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 feature film series, any uh, any television series. The anticipation, the hype. I don't think any production can really hope to live up. You know, if someone tells you that something in the West End is the best production of anything ever, and it'll be that it'll change your life. You know, the minute some somebody sticks a sticker on it saying this will change your life, you're going to come out going, well, it didn't change my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think there's always going to be. A, a benchmark. If you've set a very high benchmark, yeah. everything else is going to be judged against that. But I, I, I and just, to a yeah, certain, I think, certain extent, these are not these are not the greatest pieces. And I think there's an element. You know, whenever you get these top 100 TV dramas, and you just know that <clears throat> at least five of them will be Potters, and three of them will be Bleasdales, and you know, it's just it's just a bit obvious because. I think it's because these are more because they're more challenging writers, or they're more contemporaneous, and that's kind of seen as well. Not all of Dennis Potter, but some of it. Um, and I think there's a there's a fascination with things that are are modern and challenging and a bit cutthroat and a bit daring, and they're the sort of things that get through into the top one hundred or the top ten lists. And yet, mm. things that are cosier or more period or are more um, populist aren't regarded as highly just as a matter of process and I struggle with that because I think there are a load of amazing TV dramas that just would never be regarded in that echelon something like Secret Army which I think is one of the best TV series ever mm. written and yet mm. no one would ever consider it to be high art and I absolutely think it is 
on so many levels. People, people differentiate between uh, series, television, and you know, yeah, the the, the, the one-off drama. It's it, it's it's kind of, it's kind of strange as, as a as a culture. We've uh, we, we've we've we're getting into very different areas, but okay. we've we've actually become very used to the the top twenty of everything. Yes, and everything therefore has to be in in competition with everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you were saying uh, only a few episodes ago, the fortunes of war never never appears in any of these. Yeah, lists anywhere because people have almost forgotten about yeah. it. And I think to a certain extent. This is what happens, you know. You you you, you were not you were not even in in the world of um, if you if you go to if you go to cinema now, you'll notice that a lot of the best of you know, people say the best films of all time, most you know quite a lot of them in the last two twenty years. Whereas actually, if you were going of all time, there's some fabulous stuff from 1920 that no one ever thinks about because no one sees it anymore. But I would also choose within that 20 best films of all time things that are more populist because I've genuinely thoroughly enjoyed them and not had to be challenged by mm. them or thought they were really beautifully um, crafted, crafted or, or great cinematography or anything. Mm. So I think there's just this, there's a slight sort of snobby sort of mm. intellect. But it's, it's an apples and pears thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's the other thing. It really is. I mean, you're not, re- I mean, you're not comparing like with like really to compare Dennis Potter with Alan Plater is, is 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 to is to mix things up. I mean, you know, do I don't know whether people do this, but do people do their top twenty Shakespeare plays? <laughs> They're all written by the same guy. I mean, oh, but Macbeth's better than Hamlet because you know, do the people do that? I mean, that's that's kind of what we're doing now, but with all of television. Yeah, you know, and and ultimately, quite a lot of these lists are or these programs. Oh, do you remember nineteen ninety? Are all about things that nobody remembers. Yeah. Or no one remembers properly. We talked about uh, Edge of Darkness, and Edge of Darkness very much is people remember that scene. Yeah, with the but they don't remember yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, and and I think fewer and fewer people. I mean, we're doing a very niche podcast here. Yeah, you'd notice. <laughs> <laughs> but very, uh, yeah, there are very few people probably who have actually sat down and watched um, Fortunes of War, who on, on, uh, in in the last ten years. Uh, just for the sake of it, yeah. you know, yeah. that the actual number of people who've probably had access to it and actually done that is probably a lot lower. I mean, obviously, people that we we talk to, people that that I mean, we talk to each other, but you know, there aren't necessarily. You, if you went and sat on a bus and and just yeah, <laughs> not the buses can have many people on them at the moment. No, don't go sitting on a bus. You went on the Clapham omnibus and said. If you went on the, the Clapham omnibus six months ago and said, <laughs> "How many people have watched Fortunes of War in the last year?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that? Yeah, you know. Yeah, of course. So, and that's again the difficulty of of things like, uh, you know, uh, they say you know top thousand TV shows you must see before you die, kind of thing. You know, well, people don't do that. But you something know, else, they they yeah. still go. I'll, I'll, you know, people like us might, but a lot of people go, oh, well, yeah. sticky standards on. <laughs> the thing is, something I'm fascinated by that we haven't talked about really in great detail or in any detail until now, and it doesn't fit with this at all, but I'm going to throw it in there, is how, okay. how many Doctor Who fans are also classic TV, archive TV fans who have similar levels of numbers of DVDs and similar interests in all these other TV series, and Doctor Who is their gateway drug. 
and <laughs> all the ones we know. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of people, and it's amazing how as soon as you find out, oh well, they know who Sarah Jane Smith is, or they know who Leela is, mm. then immediately you mm. probably can talk about all of these other series, and everyone knows what you're talking about. And I just find it fascinating it's... that that is a is something that has occurred through Doctor Who. It's it's amazing that that is its the, legacy. The... Yes, I think we, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a maybe a sort of slightly sort of older end of of, the, of, of that kind of uh, uh, spectrum, I think a lot of us grew up uh, and behind the scenes became a bit of a gateway drug for us. Yeah. So maybe the make the making of book or um, <laughs> or or those articles in Doctor Who Weekly Monthly, yeah. where totally. where you found out a bit more and you learned things about. These these strange words like director, which had, which had popped up at the end of every program you'd ever seen, yeah. but you probably never really thought about. You know, I mean, there are I mean, film fans are the same. You know, yes. you know the people who could tell you what a best boy is. Are, yeah. are, you know, you know, most people have either walked out, and there are people who will sit there till the end credits, and not just because they think they're going to get an extra scene. You know, there are people who really want to to know who actually focus pulled on. Yes, this, you know? yes. Who was who was yeah. the vision mixer? But, who was the gaffer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and. But that, I think, comes from a certain type of fandom. I mean, I, I imagine it's much the same Star Trek fans. And maybe it even seems to come from science fiction fans. Maybe it's the way our brains are wired. But is it the you same know? in America? I'm not sure it is because I don't think... I think maybe to a degree it is because I'm listening to more Doctor Who podcasts in America now. And I mm. see that they, they, they've got through to a route to other stuff from it. Mm. But um, I'm just fascinated. I think people in in American uh, American uh, fandoms. I mean, I, I hate because obviously I'm you know I'm not involved in that, so it's it's difficult to be sort of sweeping. But that, that, uh, very much in if, if you used to read early Starlog and uh, magazines like Starlog and uh, Fantastic Films and all that, they were very much they interviewed directors, they interviewed. Um, uh, people who painted uh, map paintings. They they interviewed writers. Writers certainly uh, certainly amongst Star Trek people, the, the writers they were very much fans of DC Fontana and, mm. and and David Gerald and all that kind of thing. You know, they so they 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 appreciated a writer, but that's quite often because those writers were writing articles for for things like Starlog, so they were known. You know, yeah. whether or not I don't I don't know whether anyone sat down and. And ever sort of wrote a fan letter to the third assistant director on Trouble with Tribbles. I literally don't know whether anyone ever ever did that in the history of the world ever, <laughs> but but I imagine there are people who would because we we live in an you know an infinite world full of millions of people and you know that might be somebody's obsession you know. And that third assistant director might have something interesting to say about it. You never know. And this is it. I mean, and but I mean, certainly Doctor Who fandom has been spoiled on that point of view in the sense that now you know you've got people doing. Uh, Blu-ray articles on somebody who is the only surviving production crew member. So they, well, they held the, the work of, the work of Toby Haydock, particularly. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yeah. So I know that was now, a, whether that, that was a massive tangent away from Dennis. Popper, no, I, I, just, but it's one of yeah. those things. I mean, we. I mean, we grew up in an era. It, it, it wasn't that the singing detective was on. It's the new thing from Dennis Potter. You know, the the whole thing about about getting back to this karaoke called Lazarus is that these were the final works of someone who was regarded as a great television writer now whether or not you agree with that or disagree with mm. it is is that's that's how they were considered and we knew their name yes you know we probably didn't know Rennie Rye 
as much. You know, you you're like I say, you you knew him from other productions, yeah. and maybe looking back, you can make that connection. Lots of people uh, would have sat through year after year after year of said cars softly, softly, Dixon the Dot Green Angels, and never noticed the names on the credits for the writers or the directors. You know, but we knew who Dennis Potter was. You know, he had that kind of profile. Yeah, that's interesting, and but that, it's really funny that you just mentioned Angels because. What I've since discovered about Angels is the writing talent on that show, the, the women writers on that show and where they went next. It's just incredible. Mm. Anyway, but it was never, it was just, you know, they were just writers, hack writers almost. A lot of those in, productions... In, in terms of uh, perception. Yeah, Zed Cars for the, for the previous few years, where those half-hour dramas that were throughout the 70s were absolute cauldrons. They were, you know, they were. that's where the talent was all nurtured. I mean, you, you, you often find out that certain you know x y or z worked on eastenders or you know but even something like triangle <laughs> you know the staff writers who were, who were learning their craft on these on these programs you know? so are you telling me that are you telling me that someone good there was someone good working on triangle who went on to something <laughs> went on to something i i actually without looking it up i probably could but <laughs> i just find it hard to believe but maybe i'm wrong Okay, so you've got you've got Ben Steed who wrote Blake Seven. You've got Bill Bill Sellers who created it. What did he direct? Lord Peter Whimsy, Newcomers, Doctors, Brothers. Yeah. Oh, he directed Celestial Toymaker. Yes. <laughs> this is not exactly the best legacy you ever want, is it? Okay. No, well, oh, and he was married well, to June Bland. Well, there we are. Yes. Is she the, is she the just, second? I'm she's the lieutenant in Earthshock, isn't she? Yes, uh, uh, I'm. Ju- I'm literally. I'm just trying to find Triangle on IMDb I'm to there, see whether there's a list of writers. There is. I've already <laughs> told you, Ben Steed. Is that the only one? Uh, no, there's lots of others, but I've not heard of any of them. Luantia Greer, <laughs> Leslie Thomas, oh, okay. Sue Lake, Robert right. Duval. Okay. They didn't go anywhere. Robert Duval. What? what him from the, the Godfather? No, Del Val. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Well, may- maybe that was the wrong one to pluck from me. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I could have guessed that as well. Uh, yeah. All the people who worked on Hollyoaks. No. Right. Ah. Okay. Can we let's sum up on karaoke and Cold Lazarus? I'll sum up on karaoke, and then if you can sum up on karaoke and Cold Lazarus, having watched them both. Is that okay? Uh, okay. So. Yeah. Well, I'll see what you've got to say, and then see if I can think of anything else. Okay. So, I think karaoke is a decent drama. I think often it's trying to be a little too clever. And it's hard to critique it because you don't know at what point what is reality, what is fiction. And it's hard to get past this monolithic thing that it's the last Potter. And therefore, it's it's a landmark in TV drama. And you can kind of forgive it a lot of self-indulgence as well because it is Potter. And because it's his last mm. great work, even though it's probably not great. Yes. Um, so all of that comes together to something that is perhaps less less good than it should be. But you mm. can appreciate the work and the intention. And it's not badly directed. It's not badly produced by Kenneth Trodd, who we should say also did Pennies and also did Singing Detective. Um it's oh and also executive produced by no less than michael waring who did history man and edge of darkness so there you go yeah anyone would think he'd bunged us a few quid 
<laughs> so that's that's my take. Yeah. Anything to add? Well, it, it, it is uh, it, in many ways. Uh, it is it is uh, the greatest hits. Uh, I, I feel that 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 is the thing. It, it yeah. is it is it's seen as prestigious. It, it's a it's a it's it's seen as a massive full stop to a career. Yeah. And and it's also in many ways a massive, you know, sod you to, <laughs> to the entire industry in that sense. There are beautiful moments within it. It feels, uh, I mean, the the multi layered moments. I mean, there's a, there's a wonderful line in it where he just says that once I could make a whole ward sing, which you know, again, maybe that's sort of being overly. Uh, it, it's actually a nod and a wink to the audience. Who've watched his other works? So, you, you, in many ways, perhaps you need to know a lot more Potter to watch Potter at this stage. Um, it's got some, I say, some excellent performances in it. Uh, and you know, part of me thinks that I've been thinking about this that maybe, maybe that that, um, that Spoonerism thing is purely so that because he went through school being called Penis Dotter, I learned to read. Ah. <laughs> but but uh, I mean that's probably just a. Very poor joke, but uh, they are they are two very different and yet very connected pieces. They they one really helps clarify the other, but but isn't really necessary to the other. Yeah. They the obsessions of the second actually feed through the plot of the first, which which kind of in many ways I think watching the two together, if if you learn anything at all from it, I think the thing is that you actually start to see how. The writer's mind worked. You actually are weaving a tapestry through. This is my process, and whilst most of karaoke was already written when when this announcement pronouncement was made, it was already a commissioned piece for the BBC. Uh, a lot of the th the things he was thinking about in terms of uh, cryogenics, in terms of uh, the way media was going to be marketed in the future, feed through the first script. And then come through in the second. Whether or not the the actual crime drama of the first is interesting enough, really, it's it's yeah. one of those those programs that perhaps thinks it's more interesting than actually it turns out to be. Yeah. You know, it's a very simple story of of like like we said, which which again is is addressed in the script of if you only had X many weeks to live, what would you do? You know, man man sort of meets meets girl in bar decides to meets his mother we haven't really talked about his mother her mother i should say oh yeah alison steadman uh, yes alison steadman you know and that that role and and sees a tragedy sees a tragedy about to play out again sees a tragedy that he wrote uh, as a as a as a tragedy that he wants to turn into something with a happier ending trying to change the world around him railing against the dying of the light if you like mm -hmm. And then being bought, being resurrected in another form years later in a very cruel piece of torture around a lot of other politics, a lot of other machinations, and ultimately being cruelly tortured and finally finding a way through to the light. And maybe a lot of it's just wish fulfillment. Maybe it's just, you know, this is a dying man thinking, I hope it will be like this. I fear it will be like that. But in the end, I genuinely hope I will get to wear those stars in my crown that we sung about in school when I was a boy. And I want, in the end, to go towards the light. And that's, I think, what it's all about. Gosh. 
<laughs> I'm just throwing my pencil down. Wow. I would, uh, in celebration of triumph. Said, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> that was that worked. I, I bought it. And you noticed how silent I was. I was wrapped. Wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> and very few people are ever wrapped when I'm talking. That would be silly. So, excellent. So, that was karaoke. We will see you again next time for the letter L. And um, we hope that um, you've enjoyed our exploration of karaoke called Lazarus and beyond the world of Dennis Potter. And um, yeah, anything to add, Martin? No, I think that's it. I, I'm I'm not I'm not sure we've necessarily covered it as covered it as forensically as we might, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, I think sometimes that isn't really the point. I think sometimes you need to have a conversation about a thing as you find it, and I think sometimes uh, I like to think we just have a chat about something we've watched, and hopefully that <laughs> is is welcoming and includes people who who want to join in. And uh, yeah. yeah, we've certainly approached it differently, but it's kind of nat- felt natural to do that. I don't know why. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Martin. And see you next time. And Take see care. everyone else next time. Bye. Bye bye. Capital initials. The end. Full stop. And underline. You've been listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, Jack Rosenthal's pilot episode of London's Burning.